you have a Bible with you, you can open to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll look at verses 3 through 14 this morning. Uh, The text is uh, printed in the bulletin, too. Maybe somebody took my bulletin. (laughs) Maybe somebody could get me a new one. (laughs) Thanks, Brian. I'm good. Um, Right, so Ephesians 5, 3 to 14, we've got... um, just a few more weeks, actually, left in the uh, series on Ephesians. We've been going through for a little bit. Um, you know, it's a book about unity. It's a book about the unity that we have in Christ, the fact that unity is a great definition for actually who God is. He's a God of unity. Uh, and what he's doing in the universe is bringing it all to a, a summation, a unity in Jesus Christ. And so um, he is at work in the world and in our lives in a way that brings us in that trajectory, that trajectory towards union rather than division, which is what we've kind of set ourselves, uh, that's the path that we've set ourselves on, is one of uh, division or um, disintegration, relational uh, distance. Those kinds of things characterize us, but God's in, in the world working through the gospel and through his spirit, and ultimately in eternity he's going to bring us this kind of unity that we just can't even comprehend, really. But we've got a lot said about it uh, in the book of Ephesians. And, uh, you know, the first half of Paul's letter, he spends a lot of time just talking about the gospel, about who God is and what he's done for us in Christ and kind of reconciliation that we find as a gift of his grace. And the fact that that's his desire for us is to experience and, uh, and portray the kind of unity that uh, we've been given freely through his, uh, through his spirit as we love one another. And now we're getting into the, you know, um, this, the book is kind of ramping up toward a greater and greater vision of what that means practically in our lives, right? So um, kind of the, the vision of unity and the, the contrast is increasing. The contrast here in our passage that we're going to look at in just a minute, it's like a night and day difference between like the real unity that's been given us and that's our eternal destiny, that kind of unity, and the kind of counterfeit unity that we pursue as uh, sinful human beings, right? this kind of dark unity that we pursue. So uh, that's the contrast that Paul is making here. He's really kind of ramping up the contrast between the, the fake and the real thing. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about this morning, is uh, the dark union and the, and the true union that's available to us as uh, a gift of God's grace. So, so let me pray, and then we'll read the scripture. Father, we pray that you would make us sensitive to your word, to your will for our lives. Make us sensitive in a way that, um, while it may be uncomfortable for us, doesn't drive us away, but that, in fact, gives us a, a glimpse of who you are and how profoundly different a life with you can be than we generally imagine or that we generally uh, practice, even, as Christians. We pray that you would overwhelm us with a sense of your love and uh, a vision of your kingdom that is compelling to us. Um, We pray that you would show us what our own hearts are like and show us what Jesus is like as our great Savior who took our humanity, our broken humanity, and fixed it so that we could have a real relationship with you. We pray that you would help us as we consider your word this morning by the power of your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. 
Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when everything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there's a lot going on in the text that we're just not going to cover. Uh, Sorry. Um, But uh, we're going to talk about what is pretty much the main point of the whole thing, and that's um, right there at the beginning, sexual immorality. All those things that are being talked about, impurity, covetousness, that really is kind of a sensual insatiable desire, this greed for sensual pleasure. Uh, This whole thing is about uh, sexual immorality. So that's what we're going to talk about. Um, Our culture, the culture that we live in, places the highest value on uh, sex, and really not just sex, but sexual immorality, right? Sex our way, right? Sex our way. The culture values that. You look around, uh, I mean, in the grocery store, you've got glossy magazines, but if they're not showing it, they're talking about it, right? Uh, you've got websites. It's the biggest online industry in the world, incalculable numbers, incalculable amounts of money being spent on online sexual immorality, pornography. You get lives spent, absolutely spent, making ourselves attractive so that we can get that physically attractive, to get that partner who will satisfy us physically. Um, you've got decades of young people in their lives for, for decades looking forward to uh, maybe even marriage, right? Maybe even marriage, but as a way to get sex rather than to give. Um, you've got uh, people who hide pornography addictions from their spouses and from all of their friends. Um, It would be the most shameful thing they could imagine to be discovered with that kind of an addiction. And you've got people, just regular people, all kinds of people, everybody, everybody is constantly thinking and uh, arranging their life around sexual encounters for pleasure or using their sexuality to get what they want. Um, The culture doesn't understand the Christian sexual ethic, right? It it doesn't understand it. The world, actually, it's not just the culture that we live in now. The world has never understood it, and the world never understands the way that a Christian, uh, shaped in their thinking by the Scriptures, thinks about sex. In fact, the world cannot understand, right? The world cannot understand what is spiritual uh, about the Christian sexual ethic, because 
Christian sexual ethic is not just strict, right? That's the, the world puts that label on us, strict, Victorian, right? Tight. That's, that's your view of sexuality. It's not just that. It's otherworldly. It's entirely otherworldly. That's what holy means. It is unique. It is unlike what we see around us, right? Uh, and, and Paul calls us saints based on that word holiness. Our view of sex is otherworldly. It's divine rather than earthly. And, and the unspiritual and the unholy in the world, it can't discern what is spiritual and what is holy. You can't do it apart from God's grace and relationship with him in your life. So, so our culture... People, people around us, when they look at Christians and they think, what do, Christians, what do the church teach about sex or think about sex? They, they are most likely assuming that we think just sex is bad. They most likely assume we think it's bad. Maybe a biological necessity you got to go through in order to maintain the, the race or whatever, but generally probably it's bad. And there's been a lot of Christians who've taught that, unfortunately, but it is entirely untrue. Right? The Bible teaches that sex is glorious. It's actually one of the best things in the world when it's properly done, when it's done in the right context, right? Uh, We can't just define it for ourselves because it's supposed to be an expression of love, and we can't define love for ourselves. We can't define anything in this life for ourselves. God defines it for us, right? Sexual love can't just be whatever we want it to be. God defines it for us. And that's the thing that maybe distinguishes a Christian from somebody else in the world is that we're just not trying to define it for ourselves. We want to find out what God thinks about it. And he says it's holy, right? He says it's good and great and glorious, but it's holy. So so we shouldn't defile it. So what he says in, uh, what Paul says in uh, verses, well, let me read starting verse 3 again. Um, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, again, that's like insatiable desire, greed. It could be a generic term for kind of greed, but in the context, it's really talking about really lust, right? Um, must not even be named among you. These distortions of sex must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, right? No obscenity, no foolish talk, nor crude joking, nor sexual innuendos, Right? Um, no, no filthy language, no dirty minds, no vulgar conversation, no gutter talk about sexuality. That's what's being said here, which are out of place. You know? This text could go really well with the text right before it. Uh, it could, could all be preached together where it says, you know, when you speak, let it be for building one another up in love, right? Build each other up in, in the truth and in grace. This kind of language is entirely out of place, always, always out of place. Um, but instead, he says, let there be thanksgiving. might seem strange to us that those things are played off against each other. Thanksgiving and filthy talk, right? Not like pure speech and filthy talk. It's thanksgiving, right? Thanksgiving is definitive of the Christian's life. We receive everything as a gift from God. Uh, ra- so rather than, this is what Paul is commending for us, rather than being dissatisfied with what we've received from God, with what he's telling us, with his will for our lives, which is really better for us than our will for our lives, rather than dissatisfaction, uh, which, which honestly ultimately leads to things like homosexuality and rejection of gender identity. You know, you receive your body as a gift from God, but you refuse to receive it 
as it really is. You've received sexuality as a gift from God. I'm going to distort it and come up with my own definition. Rather than doing that, and rather than grasping for what God has plainly forbidden and said, it's just not good for you. Uh, things like this, this uh, word for sexual immorality is, is a Greek word, uh, pornea. Uh, impurity of every kind. Right? Um, pornography comes from that word, uh, pornea. But doing it wrong, right? Doing it wrong, getting it wrong, grasping for what is wrong, adultery, prostitution, masturbation, all those things or what God has forbidden, instead of doing that, we're, we're glad for who God has made us to be, and we're glad for what he's given us, right? We're content, and we're thankful, and we're responsive to him, because he knows better than we do what's good for us. Right? It's kind of the basic idea of what it, it means here to be uh, expressing thanksgiving. So the context, he's given us human sexuality to be enjoyed in, in a particular context, and that context is faithful marriage, right? And Paul says in uh, 1 Timothy 4, in another place, <clears throat> he says that marriage, some people actually forbid marriage. I mean, there's been Christians who have said, you know, it's kind of a bad idea. If you, if you could um, get through life without being married, that's probably better for you. Maybe a bit of a distortion of what Paul is saying. Uh, there's been a lot of saints who have just basically said, hey, sex, marriage, all that stuff, is, is bad. There's been a lot of heretics who have said that too, right, throughout the history of the church. But Paul says, no, it's, it's something to be received with thanksgiving. It's made holy by the word of God and by prayer. Those two things, by the word of God and by prayer, is what makes this a different thing that we can enjoy and be thankful for, right? We receive it with thanksgiving on God's terms, according to the word of God, right? He's told us what sex and marriage is for. And he's told us how to do it. And uh, we, we receive it according to his word, according to his revelation. He's revealed it for our good. And prayer makes it holy as we're in relationship with him. Right? Prayer there is um, representative of, of our whole life union and relationship with God. So that's the context that we're supposed to enjoy uh, uh, our sexuality in, is faithful marriage, responsive to God's word, and in relationship with him. Pretty basic stuff. Um, ultimately, we're thankful, not just for the gifts that God gives, right? Um, marriage being a great gift, human sexuality being a great gift. We're not just thankful for that. We're thankful for who God is and the fact that he's given us himself and for the gospel, that we don't deserve a relationship with him, but he's freely entered into our lives. He's taken the initiative because he loves us and he's moved forward toward us in grace. And so God ultimately is our greatest delight. God is at the center of our lives. Not even your spouse, not just sex. That's not at the core. That's not the thing that, that causes you the greatest delight. God himself, we're thankful for him as the center of our lives, as the, the supreme joy and delight of our lives. And so either, either he's gonna be right at the center or something else is. And in our culture, that's bound to be a distortion of sexuality. Right? Either God and his will are supreme in our lives, or it's me and my will, and this, uh, this counterfeit version of, uh, of the union that's supposed to be expressed through human sexuality. Paul continues, he says, you may be sure of this, in verse 5, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, again, those three terms uh, listed there, 
And then he de describes what covetous means. Really, it, that is an idolater. Everybody who's sexually immoral, really, these are idolaters. Right? Shamelessly unrepentant. God is not the center of their lives. There's something else there. And they have no inheritance. You can be sure of it. They have no inheritance. They just have no part. They have nothing to do with God, with his kingdom, with the kingdom of God and Christ. Um, so let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Don't be partners with them. Don't do what they're doing. Making sexual immorality the center of their lives. If that's the center of your life, God is not. It just makes sense that you're not really connecting to God and that you're not living in his kingdom and you have no part in it. If something other than him is the center of your life like that. Right? So covetousness, insatiability, idolatry. Worship problem. That's what we're talking about. It's a relational problem between us and God. It's a worship problem. We've got the wrong God if sex is, is driving our lives. Right? Um, sex is not meant to satisfy you, ultimately. It was not given in order to satisfy you. Only God can satisfy you. Sex is not given to, to do that. You know, a uh, great example of this, everybody knows sex can't satisfy us. Think of, uh, I mean, how many guys in this room does this resonate with? You struggle with a pornography addiction in your late teens, and you're looking forward to finally getting married, where you can get that satisfaction in the proper context, and you think, once I get married, and once I can start having sex on a regular basis, it's going to be fine. My pornography addiction will go away, right? I won't, I won't be part of the sexual immorality world anymore because I'll be getting it properly. And it doesn't work, ever. It never works. might work for a little while, six months, a year. It doesn't work because you're viewing it all wrong. You're looking at it for, as that thing that's ultimately going to satisfy me, and that's not why it's given to you, right? Um, it's not about getting. Guys, guys want sex kind of ultimately. That's kind of the end in itself that they're pursuing. A lot of times girls use that, play on that, um, use their sexuality to get something else, oftentimes real intimacy, right? They're looking for intimacy. They're not looking for something bad. They just want to be loved, right? And so we'll use our sexuality or we'll make that our end goal Either way, whatever gender you are, however you're using it, you're using it to get something, and you think it's going to satisfy you, right? Um, and if that characterizes your life, you know, a view of, of sex, sexual immorality, using it, if it characterizes your life, then it shows you don't know what it means to be satisfied by God. It's just what it means, right? You don't know the God of love who, who satisfies every desire of yours. Uh, what it means to know the, one who on, the only one who truly satisfies us. Human sexuality is meant for union, right? It's meant to, to be an expression of that whole life union that we see in a marriage as one of the greatest uh, 
pictures of the relationship that we have with God, that spiritual union that we have, is pictured for us in the relational union of a marriage, man and a woman getting together, being married, and giving their lives to each other, not just taking, not just getting, using this person to get what I want, what I think will satisfy me, but giving up everything in order to satisfy this other, to give myself for this other. That's what it's meant for. And human sexuality is meant to, to be, in a sense, kind of a, the pinnacle experience of that glorious, intimate self-giving, mutually self-giving union that we have in a marriage that's meant to be reflective of the Trinity. It's, it's the whole point of the universe, this kind of union. Right? It's the ultimate destiny for those who are in Christ by faith is this kind of real intimacy, this mutual self-giving, perfect, blessed union, ultimately with God, uh, first and foremost with God, but that we see is pictured for us in, in the way that we live in our marriages Harry Schomburg has a great book called False Intimacy. And he says in it, uh, these are quotes from a few different places, and I put this on the front, of the, uh, front cover of the bulletin for you. It says, when God created Adam and Eve, he designed their sexuality and resulting lovemaking to be an expression of perfect intimacy, the antithesis of self-gratification, the antithesis of self-gratification. Sex addicts develop a contempt for genuinely intimate relationships. When people learn to act independently of others and God, they become self-indulgent. They develop strategies that they perceive will help them achieve personal satisfaction. Sexually addictive behaviors are not as dark as the internal commitment to serve self. That's what's really going on inside of a person who uh, is, is a sex addict, sexually immoral, any kind of impurity, that kind of lust, the way that we use sex to get something for ourselves. What's really going on at the root of it, the darkest part of it, is that we are committed to ourselves. We're serving ourselves. It's a self-centeredness. So this, this kind of dark counterfeit union that we go after, it's the biggest lion ripoff imaginable. It's taking what God has made for love, which is other orientation, self-giving, not self-gratification. It's, it's making it about ourselves, my pleasure, my satisfaction, my needs. Talking about it as if it were just some kind of a biological itch that needs to be scratched, which is pretty common for us to do in our culture. Right? Talking about it that way, it yanks it right out of the realm of, of divinely intended love, the proper context for it. It's false intimacy. Whatever version of it you have, if, it, if, if yourself is at the center of it, it's false intimacy. It's not real. It's, it's not any kind of intimacy, even if it's something that you do naked in the presence of another person. It's not real intimacy if it's sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is done apart from the covenant of marriage. Marriage is the arena for the true intimacy that we need, that we're made for, that Christ has redeemed us for, where you give your entire life to another in mutual, vulnerable love according to God's intention, right? It's shaped by his revelation. He tells us what it's like. He tells us what our lives are for. Any gift that he gives us, if we're going to use it property, properly, we use it according to his will. And sexual immorality is like taking the fine china out of the cabinet and throwing it on the floor in front of the dog with mush in it. Right? And that's 
that's not what it's meant for. And that's why we get upset about it when everybody in the whole world does that, ourselves included, right? But we get upset about it because it's just not being used the way it's supposed to. It's not because we're prudes. It's not the Victorian sensibilities. Just this is not the way it's supposed to be used, right? This is not what it's for. And admittedly, many Christians have been just prudish about sex, but the real Christian view is that it's great, it's good, when it's properly enjoyed, but when it's distorted, there's hardly anything more tragic or destructive or more antithetical to true love. Hardly anything worse than that. When we've uh, violated God's purpose for our sexuality, when we've distorted it like that, making it a union for the sake of consuming another, benefiting from the other, it ends up objectifying other people. It ends up dehumanizing them. I don't really care about them when I'm just using them for my own means, uh, for, my, for my own uh, ends. Use, abuse, discarding, uh, caring only about myself, this insatiable, self-indulgent sensuality. Someone else is being reduced to serve my pleasures. That's what it is. And that's diametrically opposed to self-sacrificial love, which is what we were made for. And if you know God, if you really know God, then um, like Dave read in Proverbs 2, our Old Testament reading, you'll be delivered from that whole thing. You'll be delivered from the forbidden woman whose house sinks down into death and no one escapes. For, as it says in Proverbs 2, the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. And that's reminiscent of the language we find in our passage. Just not, you don't have any inheritance with God's kingdom. Unless you know him, and your, your knowledge of him, your relationship with him starts to change your life in these ways. Right? Um, Paul says in another place, 1 Corinthians 6, it's a great uh, kind of a parallel passage for us. Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? Your bodies are members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. This kind of union, right? If you go after it apart from Christ and his will, then it's this this false union that you're cultivating. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. One spirit with the Lord if you know him. If you know Jesus Christ, you have a relationship with him, you have a kind of union that's just unimaginable. Flee from sexual immorality, Paul continues. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You're not your own. The sexually immoral person seeks to make other people my own. But, but God's child, he himself isn't his own. He belongs to the one to whom he's united. 
through the Spirit. He belongs to Jesus. So maybe, um, maybe you could pass the written exam on what it means to be a Christian. Right? Maybe you could pass the written exam on the doctrinal exam, the Bible exam, on what it means to know God and have a relationship with Him and the way that a Christian should, should live in relationship with God. You can write those things down. You can maybe even say those things on the fly in, in the pressure of an actual kind of real-life conversation. You can give the right answer. Maybe you can do that. But is your life lining up with it? In the secret places? Is your heart, are your values, the way that you think about the world, the way you really think on a deep level, and the way you really act, are those things aligning with uh, what it means to be in relationship with God? So the call to you stands here have nothing to do with that which is diametrically opposed to God and all of his ways, because that's what this is. Uh, have nothing to do with it, but let your whole life glorify God. Let your whole life, including what you do with your physical sexuality, which is a very important part of what it means to be a human being, let your whole life be organized around your relationship with the God who is love. Love as we define it being self-gift, not self-gratification. Right? Let your whole life be organized around him. It's just, um, it's a deeper issue than just trying to change your behavior. Right? It's a deeper issue than just trying to act a little better, try a little harder to do a little better this time when you say you're going to quit the pornography or whatever, right? It's deeper than just a behavioral issue. It goes all the way down to the core. You've got to do business with Jesus at the center of your life. Right? Um, and the only way to make progress, to make any progress in this, is to really actually just be a Christian, to be somebody who knows God, who knows his grace, who knows the purification that comes from being in a relationship with him through his Holy Spirit, the spirit of holiness, the spirit of love, and to think about every part of your life, your sexuality, to think about it as a Christian, right? Um, and that's what Paul says for us to do in verse 8 and following, for at one time you were darkness, not just you were in the darkness, you were darkness, but now you are light, not just in the light, but you are light. You are purity. Because at the cross, Jesus became sin. He who knew no sin, he became sin so that we might become righteousness, the righteousness of God, the purity of God, the light of God. That's kind of mystical language, not quite sure exactly how to describe that. But it says a huge transformation has taken place on the inside of your life. At the spiritual level, you were darkness, but now in the Lord, you are light. So walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Live your life organized around that. Like, what does he think? What does he want? I know it's got to be better than what I want for myself. Try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that vi becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, 
not just the sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So the Christian, when you put your faith in Christ, when you come into a relationship with God through Jesus, by his grace, because he is who he is and he's done what he's done for you, when you enter into that relationship, you've undergone a deep conversion, a thoroughgoing conversion, a very high contrast conversion, stepping out of the dark and becoming light, rising from sleep, not just sleep, from death into the life-giving light of Christ. And that's what we need. That's what we're made for. It's that kind of relationship with God that, that absolutely changes everything. The ordering principles of our lives, the, the reasons why we live and do the things we do. Walter Wangren says um, in his book, Reliving the Passion, he says, My denial of my sin protects, preserves, perpetuates that sin. Ugliness in me while I live in illusions can only grow the uglier. So when I'm in denial about how bad things really are on the inside, I don't, I don't even know what's going on inside, and it can just fester and just get uglier. I'm burying it behind illusions. I've turned the lights off so I can't see what's in there. And when you do that, it just gets worse. Things get worse. If there are hidden pockets of sexual immorality in your life, you need to throw open the windows on those dark places. You need to expose them to the light, to fresh air, and they'll be seen for what they are in light of the glory of the gospel. These things will be seen for what they really are, deadly black mold that just can't live in the daylight. So confess your sins to God. And to one another. And that's kind of different from, you know, it's different from filthy talk. It's different from talking about the things that people shouldn't even talk about, right? It's kind of characteristic of this text. It's like, just, that stuff shouldn't even be named among you. You shouldn't even say out loud what they do in secret. You shouldn't talk about this kind of stuff, right? Confessing your sins is a different thing, right? Confessing your sins to God and to, to each other. When you do that, your sins lose their power because you hold them up to the light and it, they're really ugly, you know? It's really hideous, the self-centeredness that's going on inside of us and the way that we've distorted our sexuality. You'll see them as ugly in light of the truth. And as with any commandment that we've, that we've been given by God for our good, think of the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, this being kind of one of them about sexual immorality. Think of those commandments. You've broken the commandment, and yet you're renewed in your relationship with God, you want to start keeping that commandment anytime that's true when God says something to you and you just can't do it. It's not in your nature. You, you're, a, you're a transgressor, but now, now that your relationship's been restored with him, you want to keep it. You, you need to turn to grace and you need to apply the gospel of Jesus Christ. Apply the gospel to whatever that problem is you know, in your life. And the gospel truth about it is that... Um, you know, we've got a lot of impurity in our lives, but Jesus' purity is more than sufficient. His purification, um, he's, he's got more purity than, than just for himself. He's got enough purity for all of us. His grace is that great. There's not an ounce of self-centered desires in Christ. When you, look, you turn on the lights inside of our hearts and in our souls, you find a lot of things that kind of scurry away under the furniture, Right? Lots of self-centeredness all the way down. 
level after level, and there wasn't an ounce of it with Jesus. His humanity was perfect, and yet he bore the penalty for our disobedience. He bore the penalty for what's the darkness inside of our hearts. He bore the penalty for it as if he were chock full of sin so that we wouldn't have to suffer that penalty. And he swallowed all of our darkness and he swallowed all of our distortion until it killed him so that it couldn't kill us. So it's dead now. It's dead. And then he rose with the light of the dawn on the third day to secure for us a new life. Absolutely new life that we've just barely begun to tap into in this life. A whole new way of being a human being. That's what you see in the resurrection. And that's what you get through your union, your spiritual union with Jesus Christ when you put your faith in him. A new life, a new future that in spite of our not deserving it at all, will be filled with true love, divine love, transforming love, real intimacy and real union. The real Christ has shined upon you through his life and through his death and through his resurrection for you on your behalf. So when you turn to him in faith, you're stepping into the light and it, it obliterates all the darkness. So walk as children of the light and have nothing to do with the dead end deeds of, of darkness. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, it's, um, it's possible that some of us here have these things theoretically in mind. We've got some kind of grasp theologically about, um, about you, intellectually about your salvation and the new life that's available to us through our union with Christ, the utterly new life that transforms us from the inside out. We can have this intellectually uh, down to some degree, and yet it doesn't uh, take root, really, in our thoughts or our affections, our worship, the things that are at the very center of our lives. And we pray that uh, if there's anything else inside of us that's... Um, that's driving us, that we've placed on the throne of our lives, that we've turned to uh, in idolatrous worship, trying to get uh, for ourselves what only you can do for us and satisfy us in, that we pray that you would overthrow those things within us, that you would shed new light into our lives and help us to look at uh, what might be there inside of us, inside each one of us, the self-centeredness that's driving us. We pray that you would Help us to look at those things without fear because we know that whatever we find there, it's going to be okay because you've already died, Lord Christ, to forgive us for these things. And Spirit, you've already entered our lives to, uh, to transform us away from these things and prepare um, us to live forever in heaven with you. You've already worked for our good in ways that we don't even know and we'll never be able to comprehend. And so we pray that you would make us aware of those ways that you're at work in our lives, that you would help us to be deliberate about turning away from sin and sexual immorality, leaving that kingdom behind and walking into the kingdom of the light of your beloved Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>